We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Miller for three. Oh, he backed it in. He backed it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Ranger catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. To go. Brogdon for three. Let's Got go. it. O'Neal drives on Yao, puts it in. Duarte for three. Boom, baby. Anthony attacks Hibbert. Denies him at the rim. Karis LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. LeVert. Skies high for the jam. Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket. Jackson turns, fires, Smoke. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hands! Well, dang it, Fachi. The guy that we both coveted probably the most is now off the market in what seemed to be a really lopsided trade. The Atlanta Hawks traded Cam Reddish to the New York Knicks for a protected first-round pick. They, uh, they gave up Kevin Knox as well, a guy that they were willing to give up for a second-rounder pretty much. Fachi, this, this trade to me, when I saw it go through, just a gut punch that the Pacers couldn't get this done. Took the wind out of me. It really did. I mean, I really wanted Cam. I know you did too. I know a lot of Pacer Nation wanted Cam as well. It hurt even more when I saw what the, what the deal actually was. Like you mentioned it. A protected pick from Charlotte, which is heavily protected. We're talking top 18 protected this year, then top 16 protected, then top 14 protected each of the next two years before it becomes multiple second-round picks. So I was stunned that the Pacers couldn't beat that deal because, I mean, what about just a lottery-protected pick? And then Kevin Knox, I mean, that's a throw-in. That's like when you're at like a flea market and someone says, hey, I'll waive the tax (laughs) if you purchase right now. You know, so Knox is really nothing over there. I thought, in my head, top 14 protected pick and say, you know, Torrey Craig or Justin Holiday, and I feel like that would have got it done. Yeah, I think it easily would have got it done. I mean, I don't know if Kevin Knox is an expiring, and that was enticing. Like, I would have even gave up Goga Batadze in this deal. I would have. Anything to get Cam Reddish on this team, and it what even stung even worse is not only did Woj report it, but Zach Lowe reported the Pacers were one of the teams that had interest 
and Cam Reddish. So it's it's to me like, what exactly were they afraid of giving up? Like that, the, I understand you don't want to give up a pick, right? But this pick, I think, is protected for like it even gets like worse next year or something like that in 2023. It's like, it goes down to like top 18 protected or something like that. It's, it's 18 and it goes down to 16. Okay. So you're, you're never getting any better than a top 14 pick. Right. So, and then it turns into two seconds, which duh, like, come on. Like I, I, I don't understand it. it. Makes zero sense to me. Why the Hawks would sell so low on Cam Reddish as well. I mean, I get getting a first round pick, but with that many protections, is it really going to be worth it? I mean, quite frankly, just a little bit shocking to me, Foch. But overall, I uh, I just I hate the fact that the Pacers missed out on a guy that I really feel like could have changed the trajectory of that of that starting lineup and possibly the franchise. Yeah, I mean, look, Cam is someone where you know former top ten pick, former tenth overall pick. Um, I felt like he's still super young, twenty two years old. He's taken some steps forward this year. He's shooting shooting like I think it's thirty seven percent from three this year. You know, he's averaging career high in field goal percentages. Doesn't say much. It's only you know a little over forty percent, but overall he's taken a step forward. It's obvious. We've seen him recently take a big step forward. I mean, he had. I think he scored, uh, I think he was like two 30-point games this year. I mean, he's shown that if given a, a, a larger sample size, larger amount of minutes, he can make, he can produce. So I felt like that's the kind of player that we talked about on here that the Pacers need to target. That guy that hasn't really reached his full potential but could if given more minutes. It was disappointing to hear that they didn't. And then when you hear that they that they talked to Atlanta at least – talked about what like what were we even offering yeah because we'll cover it in a little bit about who what we hear that the Pacers are looking for in return for a few of their players that are potentially on the market yeah I mean it's it's just mind-boggling to me and I wasn't expecting a Cam Reddish trade this early no, I wasn't you know in in January like we're still uh, like close to 20 some days away 28 days away something like that I can't and that's longer than that I think isn't it 27 28 yeah we're right around there and you know it's it's part of it's part of the time where you're just going to hear smoke screen after smoke screen after smoke screen. Hard to believe everything that's being reported because agents and whoever is giving these people in information, executives, you know, they're giving all the reporters and national media people all these little tidbits on what could happen. But most of the time, we know that it doesn't. But I do think this is a good time to transition into what you just brought up and. Jake Fisher, which is a guy that came on our show, works for Bleacher Report. He's a reporter. Uh, he came out today and basically said that the Pacers, the most likely Pacer to be traded is Miles Turner. In addition to that, he said Karis Levert is another guy that will probably be traded. But the Pacers are looking for multiple first-round picks, not just for Turner, but for Karis Levert as well. It's uh, it's an interesting thing to look at here, but I was a bit surprised when I saw multiple first-round picks is what the Pacers are asking for. I was very surprised. I was thinking to myself, who are we? I mean, these are not all-stars that we're talking about. You don't get multiple first-round picks for, for non-all-stars. I mean, it's just – it's not common at all. And I just feel like, do you really think you're going to get multiple first-rounders for a guy that you're barely even playing consistently in the fourth quarter? I mean, that's not going to up his trade value. Look, Levert, it, it's nice that he's back now, and, you know, he did pick up his play from the beginning of the year, but he didn't pick it up to – two first-round picks. I yeah. mean, I understand starting the bidding high, but this is almost how you don't get a call back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know. To me, the reason I felt like two first-round picks was a little bit high was just because I feel like people know the Pacers are looking to sell. But what I felt a little bit more comfortable with in, in, ter in terms of what the Pacers are asking for, 
I listened to Jake Fisher actually on a podcast with the New York Knicks. I forget what the podcast was called. Uh, good friend of the show, Jake Elrod, sent me the link. It was a, like a whole entire video. And I went and watched the, the segment where they talked about Miles Turner. And the Knicks obviously would love Miles Turner, right? We know that that's something that's not a secret. And basically, he said the Pacers are going to wait as close as they can to the deadline to try to drive up the price. In addition to that, there's a lot more teams that are going to be buyers this year instead of sellers. So those that are sellers are going to be able to ask for a lot more than what they might be able to in return. So to me, that made a lot of sense to why the Pacers are asking for multiple first-round picks because they probably have that offer or have been given that offer to a certain degree from a certain team, but they probably don't like the rest of the package. So maybe they're trying to up the ante from other teams that really covet Miles Turner because, look, 25-year-old center, like, He's still in his prime right now. So it does make a lot of sense why the Pacers should ask for more. But another thing Jake Fisher did say in this podcast, he said, keep an eye on the Blazers. He said that he has felt for a very long time now that the Blazers and Pacers could be trade partners. And mostly that would be centered around Miles Turner. You know, I'm interested in terms of, look, I would take any call. But here's the thing, like with Damian Lillard shut down for the year, they could be sellers, but are is Portland really buyers? so when it comes down to Miles going to Portland, like things are not going well for them over there. Like the, the idea of getting like an Anthony Simons, I think that's gone now because if Lillard doesn't come back this year, I mean, Simons is going to be someone who I think they could deem untouchable potentially. So I don't know what would be in a deal over there. I mean, in terms of a first round pick, it ain't going to be this year's pick. So I, I don't know what Portland would be offering anytime you hear Charlotte, I mean, Charlotte, the Knicks, it feels like those teams have had a man crush on Turner for quite some time. And for Pacer fans that are saying, we can't trade Miles Turner. Guys, if you love him, let him go and see what happens. Because right now, it's obvious he's not hes not that happy. He's not. No. And I don't blame him. And, you know, he's coming out with comments. There's a, there's a lot of stuff coming out on social media right, right now. And I, I don't know if it's being handled 100% the right way. I don't blame him for frustration. But it's obvious that something's got to give here. Yeah, he. Uh, they asked him about it today at practice. It was interesting. Yesterday, he was not a, made available to the media, apparently, yesterday. That was very interesting. And and today, they made him available at practice. And so, at practice, I, I saw Scott Agnes's video on Twitter. And, and basically, he was trying to say, you know, this ain't P was just, uh, you know, be too hard to explain and that – Basically, he's just kind of frustrated with the team losing. They shouldn't have lost in Boston in that close game. And he said, you know, me and my camp, we care a lot. And, you know, you obviously know the tweet I put out there from his camp, you know, representative from him talking about Get Out, right? It's just like yep. the movie Get Out. I, I I've never seen the movie. I won't lie. Uh, someone Get explained it to me. And I actually attached in that in that thread of that tweet – um, I forget who it was. I apologize. But they they did a great job breaking down what that actually meant and what the reference was. And basically, it was like Miles Turner's trapped, and they were, like, asking Paul George to help them figure out how to get out. So, you know, to me, I'm just done with it all. I mean, I get why Miles is frustrated. Don't get me wrong. I get it. But at the same time, this is not the best way to go about doing your handling your business. And when it comes to being a professional – I get it. He's been in trade rumors for two to three years, but he's not been moved, okay? The guy says he loves Indiana and then goes and deletes a post off Instagram. I know. I thought the same thing. He's in the Navy 1994 NBA playoffs Pacers shirt with the yellow pants. Yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, and so he comes out and he puts on this big old thing talking about how he loves Indiana and he wants to be here and he never wants to leave. And then, actually, I didn't see this, but I think it was Josh Padmore posted this on Twitter. He said he went back and edited that caption, (laughs) and then he eventually deleted it all the way off and took Indiana out of his Instagram bio. So to me personally, just a lot of stupid stuff with the social media with Miles Turner. Like, dude, if you're not happy, I get it, but handle your business outside of the media handle it outside of social media like that's why i got annoyed when he went to uh jared weiss about everything it's like all you all you did was backtrack and said you wanted role clarity no that's not what you wanted you wanted a bigger role you went to the media to try to force the issue with the pacers coaching staff it didn't really change much now you're stuck on this team until the trade deadline at least not getting the opportunities you want you know going to the media is not going to do anything but just look bad on you. So I, that, that to me is where I am at with it all. I don't think he's a bad player. I think that he should be playing probably more in the fourth quarter than he is just because if you're a starter, that's what you should be doing, Flash. But at the end of the day, it's just like, man, you know, I, I don't see anybody else on this team doing their acting like this. And it's just, it's so bizarre. Look, very talented player, but seven years in, I, I think we would be wrong to think, oh, my God, all we got to do is, is give him a handful more shots and things will be different. No, it's like he's he's not as aggressive with it. He's really not. And at this point, it's obvious the Pacers don't view him as, you know, the franchise or anything like that. I know he wants more attention. To tell you the truth, actually, he was on Twitter earlier and saw him trending. And I don't know how many times Miles Turner's trending on Twitter, but – I wouldn't be surprised if there's a part of him that likes getting a little bit more attention. We've talked about it a little bit, but Miles has given more interviews this year, I feel like, to, on podcasts than yeah. what I can ever remember in the past <laughs> before. So the little the little tidbits here and there on social media, it gets people talking. And I know that you know some players might think that they don't have the biggest brands in Indiana. And I think this year, I think Miles Turner has focused a bit more on his brand. And look, I, I don't blame him for being frustrated, like I said. You want every player to be happy. He's been loyal to us in the past, but like I said, it's just hit its point, and I think that 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 probably both parties need a fresh start. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. So we will uh, we will have to monitor how he handles his business the rest of the way. But ultimately, I am uh, I am just done talking about it. I'm over talking about Miles Turner at this point. He's uh, he's a good player, but clearly he's not being utilized the way that he should be. In Indiana, I think not only for the Pacers, but for Miles' sake, it would be best if they both just move on and, you know, in this relationship before it's too late. But quite frankly, I already think it is too late. So do I. I don't know if we can really come back from this. I just think that, I mean, do you just see him all of a sudden just turning over? A, I don't want to say a new leaf or anything like that, because the word leaf has been ruined for me uh, based on the past. But uh, I just think at this point, he's not going to become a different player. His role is what it is. It clearly, I mean, he's had a few different head coaches at this point, and all of them seem to kind of utilize him the same. Yeah, no, that's the interesting part, too. It's like I thought Carlisle was going to utilize him a lot differently, right? So did I. And, uh, you know, you can maybe throw it back and say, well, that's because Sabonis is so hard to fit players around. And, uh, you know, we can go down that path, but I think Sabonis has done a really nice job of, you know, to me, the most fun I've seen with Sabonis this year is watching him play with, you know, Lance Stevenson, Kiefer Sykes, that group of guys. I mean, they just have been the most fun to watch because it's all about working your butt off to, to try to win games and, and, and just playing basketball the right way. Like last night 
Uh, I know we're going to get into this a little bit later where we're going to recap the Celtics series, but you know, I just, when I saw that the guys were coming back, I just, I was not as excited as I should be. I'm just ready for this team to make some trades and I won't lie. I will probably be a little bit disappointed if we do not make changes to this roster by the deadline. I understand you can still make them in the off season, but they have got to learn how to sell high when they have a chance to, and not ultimately waste an opportunity like they did last year by not trading McDermott and other years when they could have made trades, just holding on to the roster the way it is. Absolutely. I mean, honestly, when, when the, the new guys, I mean, it's not the new guys, when, uh, Brogdon and Lavert came back. I thought to myself, oh, man, what's this going to mean for the new guys like Dwayne Washington, Keeper Sykes, and everything like that? And it did feel like the last couple of games, even though we weren't winning, it was a bit more fun. Um, so last night, I mean, even when I tweeted it out, I thought it was ridiculous that Vegas was like, oh, the Patriots should be favorites now. Now that Brogdon and Lavert are back, and I was like, I actually don't think we're going to play as well because these guys have been out of sync and haven't really played with you know, Dwayne Washington, Kiefer, as, as much as some of the other guys that have been active lately. So, yeah, it, it was it was unfortunate. But, um, man, at the same point, the two things really keeping Pacer fans going is, you know, making changes right now and mm-hmm. and the fact that a draft pick is, is is in the horizon, a good draft pick. And then I would say the third, Lance Stevenson. Those three right there is like if you just take away, you know, first of all, sign Lance for the year because if he starts playing less and less than then the Pacer excitement's going to die off. Then all of a sudden, if you don't make a move, we're going to feel trapped with this group. And then we're, we're going to stumble upon a couple of wins, which is going to set us back. So it's a whole ripple effect right now. Yeah, it's interesting. I saw today at practice that one of the comments or one of the things that we're focusing on was just, you know, having fun again. <laughs> so it's like, okay, this is where we're at with this season. Like we're already like one game past the halfway point and, we're trying to get this team to learn how to have fun. Like, it's just been awful. I think uh, it was, like, reported somewhere or on Twitter somewhere, like, the Pacers are 6-13 and 13 since um, Herb, Simon, Herb Simon had his interview with some different media members. So, you know, it's obviously been awful for this Pacers team. But, Fachi, there's a lot more trade stuff we could get into. I don't know if people heard, but Kevin O'Connor, Jonathan Sharks on uh, The Void, which is in the mismatch feed on, over on The Ringer. One more rumor there real quick. It was talked a lot about the Charlotte Hornets and the Indiana Pacers, and I know Chad Ford brought that up in his subsect today, talking about potential trades with the Hornets as well. So monitor that, and Chad Ford's article on Substack basically hinted around the idea of P.J. Washington, James Booknight, and Mason Plumley for Miles Turner, and maybe O'Shea Brissett. And on Kevin O'Connor's uh, podcast with Jonathan Sharks, who covers the Mavericks and does a good job covering the league, he basically put out there that, there's a good possibility that if the Pacers do trade Turner to, to Charlotte, it's going to be for Gordon Hayward. So I think that is a team to really keep a close eye on. Hey, Charlotte, I mean, we know that they've been interested for a long time. Hayward, I, we all know he wants to come home. We'll see what happens. Absolutely. So let's take a quick break. We'll come right back and bring on our fan of the week, and then we will close out the show talking a little bit more about what we didn't like and what we did like from that Celtics series. We'll be right back after this. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, everybody. Now we are going to jump into our Fan of the Week segment here on Setting the Pace. And this fan has been a faithful fan for a long time now. It's the one and only Ricky Kelly. Ricky, welcome to the show, man. Yo, thank you all so much for having me. Absolutely, man. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And I know you were messaging me, and I'm sure you're messing, messaging Fachi today about the Cam Reddish trade. So I got to get your thoughts on the Pacers not making a more aggressive move to get Cam Reddish. I just want to know what's going on in this front office because, you know, we'll just talk about how today that we were in, we, we had talks of this trade. So I don't know what we could have offered they didn't like. I don't know if it was like Goga and at first protected or if it was, I don't know if like, I, don't, I see Goga is more promising than Knox. So I don't know how we couldn't, make this trade go through or I don't know what the front office is thinking of our players. So I was also seeing that he wants multiple first round picks for Karis and Miles, which I think is outrageous. Um, <laughs> but I don't, I don't know what this front office thinks of this team when they're 15 and 27, I think that's what their record is right now. Yeah, it, it's not good. I mean, look, they are 15, 27 at this point, Cam Reddish is obviously off the table. Now it was a bummer, but Ricky, who are you thinking of like, okay, fine, Reddish is gone, but can we at least turn our attention to who's that player in your mind? Honestly, um, I'm not sure. You know, I had a – I was thinking of traits that we could propose for a while, and what it comes down to that, that seems to be realistic it would be, um, I guess, a Charlotte trade or – if we can get to the Aaron Fox deal, but the thing is, you know, all I hear about is from either from Tony East or from y'all. It's like, you know, we got to put Demontis Sabonis in that trade. And which – or I'm at the place right now is like Sabonis is our best player right now. We have him for two more years on his contract. So we got to figure out a deal that's going to be able to get us a valuable player that just at least keeps Sabonis on the team, which I think we can build around. It, a lot of people think that he's not going to stay, which – there hasn't really been any factors about that. I feel like if we pay him the money, he will stay. So, yeah, that's I, mean, he, I'm at. I, I, I don't really have anybody, especially on my radar. I just want him to pull some trigger. Yeah, I mean, I understand that too. And it, when it comes to Sabonis, it's like, where else is he going to go where he's going to be utilized this way and, and have this opportunity? I know that he's probably frustrated with loss, like, you know, losing games. Like, when losses build up, I understand why any player would be frustrated with the current situation. But, with that being said, you know, they've got to figure out a way to go about building this this team in the correct way and going out and, and taking risk. I think a Cam Reddish trade might be worth the risk, right? It's a, it's a player that has the upside. But I want to ask you, um, what were your thoughts on everything that came out this week in regards to Miles Turner and his cryptic tweets about this ain't P 
and him explaining it today a little bit to Scott Agnes. And then, of course, his management team posting their story on Instagram, tagging Paul George. I want to hear your thoughts on everything going on with Miles Turner. And Miles wants out. I, I was laughing when I saw the interview today when I asked about this AP. And he's like, I ain't going to try to explain it. But he, I know he's seen on Twitter because I know he's always on there. He's seen us trying to explain what this AP means. And like, I was sending it to uh, my friends because like, um, I could always send him like how depressed I am about the Pacers. I send screenshots of Miles. And they're like, oh, he's relating and pushing. He, he's definitely going to get out by the trade deadline. I was like, I hope so. But knowing Kevin Pritchard, he might, he might <laughs> never send him. You know, so, um, so yeah, he's definitely is uh, voicing his things, but I feel like he uh, probably did that in, out of impulse, and um, and he now he's trying to retract his steps because he wants to seem professional. And Rick Carlisle was also talking about his professionalism, and so I think that he's trying not to put the hot seat on him. But he didn't just have a decent game against Boston, even though we looked off on that game to maybe project his uh, stats trades but like he's been playing really bad recently and Sabonis has really ha- has been outshining him between the two so but yeah from those treats and stuff and from his management um yeah and the whole Paul George shade thing like talking about how Paul George wanted out like this franchise is like holding people hostage or something um that was <laughs> that was something I was like oh goodness this is so much drama I can't imagine how it is like at the practice I don't and I, I think probably, I probably see Scott Agnes probably like seeing like the turmoil build up because he's there probably day to day. So, yeah, you know, I, I think for Turner, the one thing where even if he's not playing well or not, I think he's always had a large part of the fan base on his side because he's a great guy and everything. But once you once you start to show another side like that and we're not playing well, then it's like, hey, look, we don't have any room for. For all that. So I, I think that this feels like it's more the year that Turner could be on the move than ever before. However, I got to ask you, if the Pacers end up not making a move, how would that make you feel? Um, well, you know, as Pacers fans, as of probably since the Eastern Conference Finals runs, we have been heavily disappointed probably every year. So um, if there's no trade moves at the end, I'm going to be kind of upset. But you know, I feel like as long as we can get a a, a top lottery pick, because it's been like 32 years since we've had any chance of having someone to, you know, just to grab a hold and like say this is our guy since Paul George. And so if we can be able to do well in the draft. Um, so if no trade happens, I'll be all right. But they got to blow it up. Like this this starting five is does not work. They're stagnant. They're, they might all be nice guys like we all said, but like, they don't work. They don't flow. We need a we need a point guard to be able to work through Sabonis. Like Brogdon is, you know, is too he's too stiff. He's too stiff out there. He looks like he he's always like trying to prevent an injury. He's like trying not to like overexert his body. And so like you'll see him. That's why he's such like a more skilled player. He's not athletic. We need. And now I'm the saying, you know, I'm a high state fan, but. You know, Ivy's looking nice. <laughs> so that if is. we can just keep losing, um, it would be nice. But the Pacers, you know, probably will just go on like a five-game win streak and we have to pick eighth instead of like fourth. So that will probably be our luck. But That's, um, that's what's going to happen at the end of the season. We're going to win like <laughs> yeah. six in a row and everyone's going to be ticked because we're going to fall from like four to like eight and then drop to like ten in the draft. So. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's that's the pacer way, right? It definitely feels that way. But um, let's just kind of uh, get off this depressing season that is the Indiana Pacers in 21-22 and, and, and talk about your fandom of this team. When did you become a fan of this team? And I know you uh, live in Ohio. You went to the Ohio State University. So why Indiana? So my dad's side is from Indiana, actually. And the way I became a Pacers fan is pretty unconventional. Um, so I, I didn't start liking basketball until I was like, middle school and before, I guess a little before playing is wrong too that I'm, I'm a 98 baby. So I'm a little younger than y'all. So I'm probably your first Gen Z on here. So, um, but so it was about my, so my grandpa was a, you know, a crazy Colts fan. And so he got me a Peyton Manager's even when I was around four or five. And so I just became a Colts fan. And so when I started like in basketball, I started watching Kobe. It was Kobe's, you know, his, his run against the Celtics. And he also um, against the Magic. So I was watching him play the Celtics in 08. I'm like, this dude Kobe is unbelievable. Like, I was just watching him, and I was just fell in love with basketball. And then I watched him win in 09. I was like, I need a team, but I don't want to be a Kobe bandwagon. So I was like, I don't want to be a, a Los Angeles fan. So I like, okay, I'll stay with Indianapolis and follow um, the Pacers. And so I, I got 2K, uh, was it NBA 2K9, and Danny Granger was on the team. I started playing with him, and I started, like, um, watching every time they play the Cavs on TV. I never had, and also never had like a thing for the Cavs. Like I got annoyed by all the LeBron fans at my school. And like one of my big friends, Malik, is like, and Abel were like major LeBron fans. And I was like, dude, these people just love this person too much. Um, and I was like, and I don't know, I never got attracted to the Cavs. And so I just decided to make them a team. And then I watched Danny Granger make his, what, his first all-star game in 2009. And so, or 2008-2009 season, and so I started, like, loving the Pacers, and then we drafted Paul George, and we had that first round exit against the Bulls, and I was like, I think we're on the we're on the rise. I think I'm picking the team at the right time, because I, I didn't have to deal with the whole, like, Jermaine O'Neal trade stuff, because I wasn't necessarily invested in NBA at that time. I was more, like, saturated in Ohio State football and NFL, so that's kind of how I became a Pacers fan. Well, you did pick a great time because when we were the eighth seed against the Bulls, I mean, we truly gave them all they could really handle. That Everybody had that same feeling of, like, there's something special going on here. Was there a, a favorite moment or a favorite year as a Pacer fan that really sticks out to you of, like, man, this is some of the most fun I've ever had watching or rooting for a team? Yeah, it was, um, it was what, the 2012 to 2013 season. It was right when Danny Granger got hurt, which, you know, was heartbreaking. Um, but you just saw like Paul George just third season NBA, NBA just thrive. Um, and he was averaging like at the time he's not selling big numbers. I know he made his first All Star game. He's averaged like seventeen points. I think David West was also averaging seventeen points. And they were just like clicking in all cylinders. The defense was beautiful. And then we made it to um, we made it to the playoffs. And then I, I remember watching that Roy Hipper block. Carmelo Anthony. Oh, it was unbelievable. My, oh, my goodness. I was like, this is amazing. And then uh, Paul George gets, you know, welcomed into the NBA when he made that uh, step back three on LeBron and he dunked on Birdman. And I was like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. I remember, and I remember tweeting out, and I was like, you're just a bandwagon Pacer fan now. And I was like, no, I've been liking them for like four years now. We're just like, <laughs> we're finally you know, pushing the envelope. Um, so that that run against the Heat and the Cab, the Heat the Heat versus the Pacers was was a re- remarkable. And I just 
fell in love. And I, me and my, my, my Grammy would watch like every game. Like she bought me like league pass. Um, wow. they, you know, nice. they didn't get, like it was my Christmas gift. I said, like, I don't want anything. I just want league pass. I don't watch all the Pacers games. And I just me- remember that. And also another fair memory as it was of Pacers versus Nets. Um, and Paul George and Lance Stevenson had both had like, I think Paul George had like 35 and Lance Stevenson had like, it was his, it was his career high before he got that, that remarkable game. We just saw of him scoring 30 points. <laughs> um, and they were just like the duo. We were, and that sucked at the time, but it was a cool game to watch. I remember like just watching them go every shot in. And I know Paul George gets a lot, a lot of, you know, we don't, we we're really hurt by him leaving and stuff, but his game was so smooth. Um, and it was it was really admiring to watch him just like being six nine, able to dribble like that and be able to put it in the bucket and be so athletic before he had his gruesome injury. Um, and I would say that season that, that he was out was way more bearable to watch than these last two seasons because they at least they had like some fight in them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no doubt about it, man. Well. I want to thank you, Ricky, for coming on. And, uh, you know, we got we to gotta wrap this up here on this segment. Yeah. But we really appreciate you taking the time to come on and be our fan of the week. And we'll definitely have to uh, interact with you again on the show, maybe later yeah. in the year. But um, would love to love to hear your favorite current Pacer and former Pacer as we sign off. Okay. Um, thank you all for having me. Uh, it's again, my name is Rick Kelly. My favorite all-time Pacer, mm, that's – I would say it's a, probably a tie between Danny Granger and probably Lance. Um, and my, you said my least favorite pacer of all no, time? No, uh, your favorite pacer oh. currently and your favorite pacer of all time. Uh, favorite pacer currently would be DeMontis Sabonis. Okay. There we have it, Fletch. Hey, love it. Ricky, definitely appreciate the time, and thank you for the support over the years. All right, Fletch. So I know this is probably going to be the least interesting part of this episode today because who wants to talk about two losses to the Boston Celtics? But I definitely want to talk about a couple of different things here. But I'm curious um, if you had any big takeaways from these two games. I mean, they were both kind of, I don't want to say polar opposites, but the first game was so ugly. I mean, it was really a defensive game, if you want to call it that, or maybe just disgusting on offense. But um, then the second game, I mean, the Pacers shot 45%, Boston shot 51%. So it was different. But in both games, I mean, it, it was evident that just flat out, Boston's a better team. I mean, the Pacers showed in both games they cannot shoot the three ball at all. And the, the difference was in that first game, the Pacers should have won it. I mean, they were really in it before Tatum hits that, that jumper to force overtime. And then in the second game, the Pacers were never really in it. I know it was a five-point game at halftime, but the Pacers were never a threat in that game when they lost uh, 119 to 100. Yeah, I mean, obviously the first game we're sitting there watching it, it was just so ugly. Nobody could hit the broad side of the barn. I know that uh, Jason Tatum at one point, actually I think he finished a game with eight turnovers to just one assist. So it was just like, man, it wasn't just the Pacers playing bad. It was the Celtics playing bad, right? And, you know, I thought it was impressive that DeMontis Sabonis still put up a a massive triple-double with 23 rebounds, 10 assists, and 11 points, despite, you know, shooting like, what was it, 2 of 9 or 2 of 11 from the field, something like that. Like, he couldn't hit the broad side of the barn either. So, uh, got fouled quite a bit, I understand that. And and there was times where he was getting double, triple teamed, and different things could have happened. But I, I think the biggest takeaway, obviously, from the first game 
was that Turner did not come back into the game until the end of the fourth quarter for like one defensive possession. And he really didn't play in overtime either. And then he came out with all those cryptic tweets. So we already talked about all that in terms of the cryptic tweets, but what annoyed me the most was I felt like Turner didn't really deserve to play that game, uh, that part of the game in the fourth quarter, because like you said, the game was so ugly for so long. They finally found a group that was clicking to some degree. It was Craig Brissett, Stevenson, Sabonis, and it started off with Lamb and they put Justin Holiday in, but they were able to play with these bigger wings, uh, a ball, a ball handler and, and, and Stevenson, and then with Sabonis as well, just to get the offense moving a little bit more. I felt like that was the best five-man lineup in that entire game for the Pacers. So, no, I wasn't thinking that Turner should be coming in for anybody at that point because that group earned those minutes, and they deserved to close it out, in my opinion, because of how well they had played. They really did. Shout out to Torrey Craig. Torrey Craig was, was honestly great in that game. 19 yeah. points, 8 of 12 shooting. I mean, the bench overall, I mean, rarely does the bench really step up like this, but they had 50 of the team's 98 points. So the bench was good, and Torrey Craig was really good. Um, and then Jeremy Lamb, who sometimes is commonly out of the rotation, yeah, he, he was effective. But overall, if the Pacers can't, you know, do what basketball is all about and put the ball in the basket – they're not going to win, and they they could not do that. I mean, just flat out, both teams shot. It was like sub-40% overall. The Pacers shot 38%. They shot sub-30% from three. They got out-rebounded. I mean, 17 turnovers in that first game. Overall, it, it just did not look good at all. But I, I want to say that game was more fun, but I don't know because it was a disgusting game. But there was something about – Malcolm Brogdon being on back on the court the second game that, like, I don't want to say sucked the fun out of the building, but it was evident from the beginning after Brogdon hit that first floater that it was like, oh, man, like, uh, this 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 isn't good basketball. Yeah, so, you know, it's <laughs> watching, the, watching the game Wednesday. I was a little bit late to the party, but I, I did watch most of it, and I went back and rewatched some of the first half, too, and I took some notes on what happened, and, you know, it's just like – it, to me, the biggest question mark that I came out from that game was why was Lance Stevenson being substituted for Malcolm Brogdon throughout the whole entire game? Like it was like every time Brogdon was off the floor, it was because Stevenson went in for him. And, and to me, I don't think Lance and, and Karis Levert are a good duo together at all. Uh, they're not good three point shooters, right? Lance was 0 of 4 in the game. Uh, Levert was one of two. So yeah, he hit one, but he missed two. Uh, Miles Turner was over five. You know, it's just. Uh, Justin Holiday only shot three of nine from three. I mean, everybody was pretty poor from three. Uh, Horrendous. Brogdon didn't even take one. And, and to me, it, it just feels like Lance and Brogdon would play better together than Carrison and, and Lance. And so that's why I'm just kind of dumbfounded by Rick's rotations once again. It didn't make any sense to me to play Lance and Karras together. I understand Brogdon was probably on some type of minutes restriction. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, Brogdon defensively looked like his feet were still stuck in the mud a little bit. Tatum and Brown had their way. I think they combined for what was it like 77 points, Fachi. So, you know, yeah, when, it was in when, the 70s. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was really bad. Yeah. So, two players going for 77 points combined. And, you know, it probably took almost all, I don't even know if all of our starters combined for 77 points. So, I think they did. But it's still just the fact that this team was so inconsistent. It was so frustrating. But, yeah, I mean, Turner, He did, on paper, his stats don't look bad. 18 points, one block, four rebounds. Like, okay, Sabonis had 17 points, six assists, two steals. 
you know, uh, he had six rebounds as well. So it's just like, you know, it wasn't like a bad game and they didn't shoot bad percentages from 2%, but from 1%, they were off or from 3%, they were awful. So, you know, I just, I, I don't know what to think about this team, but if you look at the plus minus, Justin Holiday was the best starter with a minus 15. It's just that starting five is disgusting. It really is disgusting. I mean, here's the thing is I don't want it to get to a point where we're rooting against Brogdon, but he hasn't been able to finish a game in about a month. So we're at this point now where the Achilles, it's obvious that it's not 100% healed. I think the Pacers have to rest him solidly before something bad happens because we already re-upped him for a few more years. So you don't want to have an Achilles tear over there. I mean, it would be horrible. So at this point, shut down Brogdon. Levert, defensively, it was not good at all. And when, when I added it up just now, Brown and Tatum combined for 67 points in the game. Our starting five combined for 70. So they nearly outscored the whole starting five for the Pacers alone. One of the, the big takeaways I thought was the return of Brogdon pretty much meant the like extinction of Kiefer Sykes. Kiefer yeah. did not enter the game until there was about five minutes left in the game. He immediately hits a shot. Kiefer can't be on such a short leash where against Boston a few nights earlier, five of 13 shooting. Look, no one's happy with that. Um, one of eight from three, but it can't be like, oh, you know what? Never mind. Now you're out of the rotation. This is the guy that was starting the last few games. So yeah. uh, that was one of the major takeaways that I had over there. And then it's just like, you know, you see like Isaiah Jackson come in at the very end of the game and it's just and like a Goga and like there's got to be a way to find these guys a few more minutes than this. I mean, it, it's it's just sad to see. And, and right now it was it was evident Brown and Tatum were just so much better than anything that the Pacers had on the court. And they looked like absolute studs to the point where it took me about five minutes to know, oh, there's no way that, that the Pacers have any chance of getting Jalen Brown or trade like Boston wouldn't be stupid to trade him for anything less than a mega haul. Yeah, no, it's um, yeah, Jalen Brown's a great player. I mean, he'd be awesome on this team. I would trade anything this Pacers team has to offer to get him on here. But at the same time, it's like, look, both teams have flaws, and you can see where Boston has flaws. I mean, they desperately need a point guard to kind of control things, and I don't think they have somebody to do that. Dennis Schroeder got the start because Marcus Smart was injured in that first game on Monday. He did not play Wednesday night, and so. Dennis Schroeder didn't play terrible, but, you know, I'm just I'm just looking at this Pacers overall team. And, you know, you talk about Kiefer Sykes, and the only reason I don't think they played him very much was, one, they played Jeremy Lamb in those minutes at, at that other guard position. I think they're trying to increase his stock to any level they can. I, I hope so. I think also with Lance, with Karras, and with Malcolm, no real need to have another ball handler out there, right? I know that Kiefer played well off the ball in certain stretches, but he's so small, and it's hard to find a – you know, it's hard to uh, justify that. But, I mean, at the same time, you know, he is a third-string point guard for a reason. I, I, I think, for me, though, I uh, I enjoyed watching Kiefer play and when Washington play more than I enjoyed Levert and Brogdon last night. And that's the sad thing, Foch. It These is. are supposed to be two of our staples of our team, two starters that you're supposed to just think that can really help this team be a playoff contender – and I just don't really enjoy watching them play. The ball movement didn't look as good to me last night. Um, you know, I just felt like there wasn't as much of a level of intensity that I would like to see. I wanted to see this team play harder, be more scrappy. And it just kind of felt like, oh, we're going to go back to our boring ways. We're tired of losing. 
You know, it was like eating a stale box of cereal again, Foch. You know, that's what it's what it felt like. It's like, you know, no, no matter if the milk's good or not, it's not going to mask how stale that cereal is. So I think fans are just tired uh, of watching the product on the court. And if they don't make a trade by the deadline, I can't imagine we get very many fans watching these games come March and April. I honestly felt like Malcolm Brogdon was like that friend that your mom made you hang out with and was like, essentially Brogdon was like coming around. Everyone else is having a good time. He's like, what are you guys laughing about? And it's like, nothing, nothing, <laughs> never mind. You know, fun's done. And it's yeah. like, I don't want that to be the case with Brogdon because he is a good player, but his style of play and what's going on right now is like, we just saw guys like Kiefer and Dwayne Washington and Lance just playing with more intensity, more excitement, like, Pushing the ball a little bit, you know, the, the, the bench is dancing more. And, and just like last night, it just seemed a little bit slower down. And, you know, the, the Patriots, they only outscored Boston in one quarter last night. And it just, it just never felt like after the game was two to two, Boston never looked back. And we, we weren't a threat. And I, I don't know, there was just something about this that I knew early on. I was like, man, regardless of Levert and Brogdon coming back, I don't think the Pacers stand any better chance than what they did a couple days ago. Yeah, for, for sure. And it's um, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, you know, um, the next couple of games are not going to be easy for this Pacers nope. team. And the schedule doesn't get any easier. They're about to head out to, uh, on a West Coast road trip after they play the Phoenix Suns Friday night. So it's going to be a long time before we see this Pacers team really play well. They've lost seven of their last eight games. Um, that one anomaly was that incredible win against the Utah Jazz. But uh, spoiler alert, they have been without Rudy Gobert and they have ranked 30th in defense, according to StatMuse, without Rudy Gobert. So that might have made a lot of sense on why Sabonis was feasting 18-22 against that Hassan Whiteside uh, level of defense there for the Utah Jazz. So Fachi pretty much wraps up the whole entire conversation we have for today's show. So obviously, just keeping our eyes on uh, trade talk. Obviously, a lot of smoke screens right now, so you can't believe everything you hear, but it's good to take note of what is being reported just to keep an eye on potential trades that could happen. But, Fach, any final thoughts before you give us a rundown? No, my, my, my final thoughts are, hey, look, it, it's it's always great to, you know, get some healthy bodies back, and, and I'm glad that everyone's getting over the health and safety protocols, but it, it, it hasn't changed anything. I mean, for about a week, we were having a little bit of fun, even though we were losing. Yeah, the losses are still continuing, so that's one way to look at it as saying we're getting closer to a draft pick, but I just hope that we're getting closer to some answers. And with trade rumors starting to heat up i think we're going to learn a lot about the future of this pacers team over the next few weeks and i'm excited to get some answers absolutely me too Fachi. so where can the people find us at on social media all right so you can find us on twitter at setting the pace three you can find alex on twitter at alex golden nba i can be found on twitter at underscore f-a-c-c-i you can find us on instagram at pacers talk you can find us on facebook setting the pace you can find us on tiktok at setting the pace all right, everybody, and if you are excited that Chris Duarte is going to be back in the lineup for the next game, hopefully, against the Phoenix Suns, then say these three words. Let's go Pacers! Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.